So we are in a series called Manifesto, as you well know. And the term manifesto is, um, it's come into kind of poor usage, or the last 20 years haven't been great for the word, I guess we could say, because the first time we really came in contact with this word that I can remember um, was in the mid-90s, and if you remember, there was a guy by the name of Ted Krasinski. Do you remember him? We called him the Unabomber. That's probably the name that you knew him as. And he was sending bombs to people. He was sending bombs to universities, and he was sending bombs to airlines and airplanes, which is why they call him the Unabomber University and Airlines. I don't know if you know that. That was a little piece of trivia. That's for free. Um, but but the, he, he sent, I believe, he sent three, there were three deaths from the bombs that he sent. Some went off, some didn't go off. He wrote a 35,000 word manifesto saying, this is what I'm about. 35,000 words is a lot of words. The, the series guide that you guys have is right about 35,000 words. No relation to the Unabomber's Manifesto. It's just a coincidence. But that's a lot of words, right? Nobody was going to read it, but he wanted to make sure that he put it out there, and quite a few people did read it until they caught him. Um, and so what man, a manifesto is, it's a declaration. It's a declaration of what I believe. It's a declaration of what I'm going to do. It's a declaration of who I am. Um, and oftentimes... It's against something else. It's against the status quo. It's against something that has been happening in a certain way and people believe it needs to change, right? It is the line in the sand. It is, the, it is Martin Luther walking up to the Wittenberg door and hammering on the 95 Thesis in 1517. That began the Protestant Reformation or really was, the, was the, probably the biggest sign of the Protestant Reformation that was happening and that was coming after that. Now, I thought we'd talk about five famous manifestos that maybe you've heard about. Um, there's, a, there's a lot more. This is just a, a top five list, as you will. So the first one I think you might be familiar with. It's the Bible and the Ten Commandments. Heard of it? Okay. Folks, I love you. But when in church a pastor says, have you heard of the Bible? You need to answer a little bit with a little bit more passion or else I feel like I'm not doing my job. Right? So the Bible and the Ten Commandments, have you heard of it? Yeah. Okay, yeah, but now it's prompted, and so it's cheap. I'm just saying. No, um, just for the record, every single service has been like this. Every single service is like, oh, yeah. Which, but this is a manifesto, right? And perhaps the most famous manifesto that there is. Now, one thing always needs to be mentioned about the Ten Commandments, because people have a, have a tendency to misunderstand the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments was a manifesto of how we live with one another and how we live with God. You understand that? The first five commandments were how we interact with God, and the second five of the ten were how um, we interact with one another. That has been oddly mistaken from a manifesto. It has been mistaken as a recipe book, that if I just do these things, then God will love me. Now, if that were true, it would have been given at a different time. Because you remember when the Ten Commandments were given, right? They were given after the children of Israel were saved out of Egypt. If it was supposed to be something that had to get done before they got saved, they would have been given it in Egypt. And God would have said, okay, when you sort that out, I'll be back. And we'd still be all Egyptians right now. 
right? So don't be confused. It is a manifesto. This is what we believe about God. This is what we believe about how we should deal with each other. And it started, uh, you know, it started, well, at least three pretty significant religions, Judaism, Islam, and um, Christianity, of course. So that's a pretty big one. That's a pretty big one and most famous one probably. Second biggest one probably for us in, in the United States is the United States Declaration of Independence, right? This is a manifesto that started a country. That's pretty big. That's pretty big. And it's rare that that happens, but it is a powerful statement. I mean, that's what it was. Oh, by the way, a, manif uh, a manifesto is often considered treason when it comes out because you know that's what that document was, right? It was treason. It was saying, we're not going to be what you are. We're going to be our own thing, and this is what we value, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, and on and on as the declaration goes. It was important that they wrote it down because when you write it down, it becomes a little bit more real. And so he wrote down, they wrote down the manifesto, the Declaration of Independence, and literally declared, we are now independent. It's a big one. How about for the third one, Martin Luther King Jr.'s I Have a Dream speech. That's a good manifesto, isn't it? That's a manifesto that he stood out in August 28, 1963, in front of the Lincoln Memorial. And you, re you remember this, right? You remember, or at least you've seen it. This was before Twitter. This is before Instagram. Like, this is before meetup groups. You couldn't just be like, hey, we're all meeting in front of the Lincoln Memorial on a really hot day in the middle of the summer. This was a group of people who said, he's going to speak. He's going to say something. And he's giving a talk. And you remember how it went down, right? How it went down is he had actually given the I Have a Dream speech the night before, and, and he wasn't sure if he was going to give it that day. And there's a pause in the talk. And one of the people who had been there last night says, say it, say it. And so he looks out at the crowd, 250,000 people, and he says, I have a dream. And by doing that, he declared the civil rights were for everyone and that that is an answer to the kingdom of God. And that's how we should live. And a, a powerful, amazing manifesto that nobody wrote down at the time, he spoke into existence. Here's another interesting one. I don't know if you remember it. This one, do you remember the Apple ad, the crazy ones? This is back in 1997. But it was that ad, it was in black and white, and they started talking about, these, here's to the crazy ones who, <coughs> excuse me, who don't think the same as everybody else. Here's to the crazy ones who have their own genius. Brilliant. By the way, this was when Steve Jobs had been brought back to Apple because he had been pushed out by the board and he had been out for a few years and he had done some weird computer thing called Next or something that didn't catch on. They brought him back and then he changed the company and he saved the company, right? This manifesto is significant because it not only defines the Apple mission for internal staff, but it became the badge of honor for the faithful followers, for the cult of Mac. And you know who you are, <laughs> right? You guys are like, mm, yes, we are. Now everyone can pursue their own genius using their stuff. Or how about this one? This was a big one too. And these are just random five, but this was a big one. JFK stood in front of Congress, 1961. I believe it was 1961. And he said, by the end of this decade, we will put a man on the moon. And it became a call for manifest destiny in the United States that everyone said we are now in a race to get a human onto the moon and back, which I appreciate that part of it as well. Um, we're going to put a man on the moon. We're going to make it happen. And for the next nine years, the country was galvanized by this manifesto where he said, this is the line in the sand. We'll be first. We'll be the ones to do it. Now listen, there are many more. 
this is just a top five list. We could pick, we could pick the Communist Manifesto or Mein Kampf. There's lots of manifestos that have made a big difference in the world. But Colossians? Colossians is Paul's manifesto. You see, Paul writes in Romans, and we spent 29 weeks in Romans last year, and in Romans, he outlines his theology. This is the way it works. This is who God is. This is how, what he did for you, and how, you know, this and that. That's how he wrote in Romans. And in fact, in Galatians, he kind of took his first stab at it. But in Colossians, he's doing something different. Rather than simply make a theological argument, he's ready to recapture a sense of awe into who Jesus really and truly is. And so let's jump into Scripture right now, shall we? Colossians 1, and we're only going to study four verses, 11 through 14, begins like this. We also pray that you will be strengthened with all His glorious power, so you will have all the endurance and patience you need. We're going to, that that last one, may you be filled with joy, really should belong to the next one. So we'll stop right there. Now, remember in chapter 10, in verse 10, Paul was speaking about the good fruits of their ministry. And he's encouraging them, saying, hey, ministry, like this takes a while. This is good. So we pray. But this text, you can fly through it so quickly and not even catch its meaning. Because we need to linger here for just a moment. He says, we also pray that you will be strengthened with all his glorious power. Let's, Let's exegete that. When he says, I want to make sure that you have the strength of the creator of the universe to do what God has asked you to do. Let's not underplay that. Let's not diminish that. He says, listen, the guy who who threw the stars in the sky, the one who created the rivers and the rocks, the one who created everything that we just sang about, that one, I want you to have all that power. The one who is resurrected from the dead, that's the power that you need. That's what I'm praying into you today. That's a big prayer. That's a big ask. It's not just, oh, you know, we also pray that you strengthen in all your glorious power. This is not like, oh, and bless the hands that prepared it, Lord, amen. Like, that's not what this prayer is. This prayer is, I'm praying for all the power of God to be in you. And by the way, I'm praying that it, that it just be every single bit. Paul wants them to have it, and he wants you to have it too. See, Paul's not stingy with God's power. Paul understands that Colossians, the Colossians needed all the power of God to remain focused on Jesus. Because remember, they had dethroned Christ. They had dethroned Christ because they had become distracted. And he says, listen, I'm going to pray that all power, that you will be there. So, so why? So that you will have endurance. And that's one way that God's power manifests itself, in endurance. Right? Endurance is a big thing. Some of you are endurance athletes. Karen, our new, um, our new, our new children's director, she, uh, she's an endurance athlete. She's, she's training for a triathlon, and not like a little one, not like a sprint triathlon. And if you've done those, I didn't mean to diminish it, because <laughs> I said it like, I, I can't do it. Um, she's, she's training for an Ironman, her and her husband. And so, like, we were all texting on Sunday morning one time, and, like, we had been texting for a few hours, the staff, and then all of a sudden, she jumps in. And I'm like, oh, Karen just woke up. And she's like, I just rode 100 miles. <laughs> Good way to get to Noah. Um, I didn't believe her. <laughs> no, she did. It's amazing, right? Endurance, that's a big thing. You got to work up your endurance. You got to get it. Well, Paul is asking for all of God's power be in there and then have it be manifest in endurance, right? Because as we endure, the strength becomes manifest in us. Our lives declare the power of God as we continue on. 
Sometimes that is it, right? Just to put one foot in front of the other. Just keep swimming, just keep swimming, just keep swimming. Sometimes that's endurance. That's all you can do, right? Mother Teresa was a phenomenal example of this. I love what Mother Teresa says. She says, our lives to be fruitful must be full of Christ. This is a woman who endured, right? She said, our lives to be fruitful must be full of Christ. Yet this is a woman who had an experience with Christ early on in her life and then really didn't experience Christ too terribly much more. And she actually wrote letters that said, like, I don't, I sometimes don't feel Christ, but she endured. How do we know she endured? Well, she lived in Calcutta. She worked with the least of these. But this is what her day looked like. I wonder if your days look like this. She'd wake up at 4.30 in the morning. And then from 5 to 6.30, she would just pray. She would spend her time in prayer and doing mass, of course. Then from 8 to 12.30, she would work with the poor. She would have a little lunch. She would rest a little bit. And then from 3.15 to 4.30, and I want you to take note of this. She just had time, space in her day for adoration, for thanking God for what he had given her. Just adoration, a whole hour and 15 minutes for adoration. Does God get, does God get two minutes of your life for adoration? She has an hour and 15 minutes every day. Then from 4.30 to 7.30, she worked again with the poor. Then from 9 to 9.45, she was in prayer. And then the next day she would start again. That woman had endurance, even when she didn't feel like God was around. Paul's praying for the Colossians and he's saying that all strength, may you have all of God's power so that you might endure and have endurance. And by the way, patience as well, right? That was a third thing that he prayed for, patience. Now, patience is different than endurance, right? Patience is the ability to accept delay or trouble calmly. Endurance is experiencing and surviving pain and hardship. They're different. Patience means we can accept those things that don't work out for us. Not just waiting, but sometimes moving on from them, accepting that things are the way they are. And we know what Paul says about this in Romans 5, right? That we, that we, that we, we rejoice in our struggles because it creates endurance, endurance, you know, character, character, hope. You know those, the way that goes. Perseverance. So why are these things important? I'll tell you why these things are important and why Paul prayed for them specifically for the Colossians. He prayed for them that they might have endurance and patience and all the strength to do that because love is not an event. Events end. Love, which is what they are asked to do and what we are asked to do, is a sustained obedience toward and for God. As well, it is a continued focus on those that he would have us serve. One of the mantras that we say here at Crosswalk a lot of the time is this. Listen, ministry happens by millimeters, not by miles. Ministry doesn't happen quickly. And some of you know this. Some of you have been praying for something to happen in your life or, somebody, or something to happen in someone else's life, that they may experience the grace of God. And some of you have been praying for years and years and years and years that maybe somebody left and you're praying that they would come back to church and come back to the family of God. Maybe you're praying that they would discover who God is. Maybe you're praying that there would be just a change in direction and it hasn't happened for years and years and years and years. Guess what? It happens by millimeters, not by miles. We're in this for the long haul. We need endurance and we need patience and we need the strength of God to be those things. And then it says this, right? I have joy. Always thanking the Father. 
because he has enabled you to share in the inheritance that belongs to his people who live in the light. Now, the problem is, in the New Living Translation, that word enabled can get passed by so quickly. And this is why we linger in the Scripture, because it's so easy to read these texts and be like, oh, I got it. No, you don't. Because actually, a better word than enable is he has qualified you to share in the inheritance that belongs to his people. So where does the qualification for the kingdom of God come from? Does it come from you? It doesn't come from you. It comes from God because he has qualified you. By the way, what God qualifies, you don't get to disqualify. When God qualifies you, there's no one else on this planet that can disqualify you for what God has certified you. Listen, I've got, I've got qualifications for nothing. You know that. Let me tell you about my degrees. Um, I have an English degree. There's one other guy in here with an English degree, and he goes, yeah. <laughs> nothing to do with it. Like, I can write a sentence. I can write a coherent sentence. I've got an English degree. Um, I do have a master's of divinity, which is a weird term because I've not mastered divinity. My other degree, I think, I think this is why they did this. They did it so you wouldn't get a big head because my, my last degree is a demon, a doctor of ministry, but it's called a demon. And if you say it differently, it's just a demon. I'm not really qualified for anything, but when God qualifies me for something, no one can take that away. When God qualifies you for something, you can't even take it away from yourself. You can reject it, not want the certification. I suppose you can do that, but that's silly. God's qualified you for this. By the way, he qualifies us for this. One of the reasons is so that we don't get big heads. Because as it says in Ephesians 2.9, right, we don't have anything to boast about. This is all about God and what God has done for us. God qualified us. And then, of course, he moves into this metaphor of light and dark to share in the inheritance that belongs to his people who live in the light. For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us, right? He has done the transferring. You have not done the transferring. I have not done the transferring. He has transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son. I love it when they use the metaphor of light and dark. And listen, I'm not afraid of the dark, but I like light a lot more. I went to PUC for one year. Anybody here from PUC? Went to PUC? That's pretty good. And it's not, it's no Walla Walla cheer, but it's all right. Um, (laughs) um, So I I was no one at PUC. I had no seniority. I went there like my sophomore year. So they stuck me in a dorm that was way over here. And they made me park way, 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 way over here by some field somewhere. And so every night when I would want to go back to the dorm, I would have to park my car and I'd have to walk. And that school doesn't believe in lighting its little walkways. And you know it's like in the forest. So it looks like there's trees that are coming after you. Like, And I'm not afraid of the dark. I was 20 years old. I'm not afraid of the dark. But it's... And then they told me about the Zodiac Killer. (laughs) And I don't mean to make light of that, but there's a weird thing. There's a weird narrative up there. At least there was 20 years ago. There was this narrative that like everyone knew he worked at the Napa Auto Parts store. And they'd be like, you know, the Zodiac Killer. And they tell you a story. And you're like, this is horrible. And they're like, yeah, they never caught him. And you're like, what? Are you crazy? And they're like, yeah, he works at that Napa Auto Parts store. And like, you should tell someone. Like the FBI, because I'm pretty sure they're still looking for him. And they're like, no, no, it's fine. Well, it's not fine. So all that's in my head as I'm walking towards the dorm. Now, I live in Granger, right? Granger was disgusting. 
Like it's a boy's dorm if, if there were no, no one in charge. In fact, I'm pretty sure there was a dean, but I never saw him. I mean, there was three weeks where we all decided we're just going to throw our trash in the hallway. And I'm pretty sure the dean was like, hmm, that's on you. See how that works out. So we're like, ha, 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 ha. After 10 days, we're like, oh. It's this disgusting place. But when I took that walk from my car and I saw the lights of Granger, uh, I'm not afraid of the dark, but I like the light a lot more. And I'll tell you what, when you go through something like that, hey, it wasn't much, but you're grateful for the light. I'm grateful for the light because you don't need a lot of light. You just need a little, just enough to see. And when you have that, you're thankful. Listen, do you remember how many times we stubbed our toes before we all got cell phones with lights on them in the middle of the night? Now it's great. You wake up, you turn on a light, and you're safe. And that seems little, but I am grateful for that because I have almost torn off my pinky toe before. And then he says this at the very end. He goes, listen, um, he's talking about God. He said, who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. You can read these four texts. You can just go through them and read them really quickly. And they say really nice things. But it's easy to get lost in, in what seems like almost innocuous language, right? This language that's like, oh, yeah, that's great. Good, good, good that God did that for us. That's great. But I want to tell you, these seven words and who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins, I think it's seven. Those seven words are some of the most powerful words that we find in Scripture. This, this little Colossians 1.14 is an incredibly powerful text. Why? Because it talks about two things, not just one. It talks about redemption and forgiveness, and these two things need each other. You see, forgiveness is forgetting about our sin, and that's what God does. He forgives us, and He forgets about our sin. But redemption is breaking sin's power over us. And it's breaking it again and again. And you see, we need them. We, they need each other as well because temptations still come in our lives and we still need the power of, of God to release the bondage that we have to sin. Forgiveness forgives us for that sin that we've done and of course that we will do. But redemption says anything, that does not define you anymore. Any of that sin doesn't define you anymore. See, we need to be released from those consequences in the way that sin has been defined and defined us in our lives. His redemption saves us again and again and again. And we all like to be saved, right? We all like to get saved from something. And sometimes God does, right? Sometimes God forgives us and redeems us and delivers us from something. Some of us have been going through really difficult times in our life, really hard things. And as, as, as we prayed through it, God has said, you know what, I'm going to take you out of that situation. You don't need to be in that anymore. Sometimes God delivers us from something. And man, that's beautiful when he does. And we all know, we all have people who have stories like that. I was in this and God took me out. And I was doing this and God took me out. Those are amazing stories. But you know what? Sometimes God doesn't do that. Sometimes God delivers us in something. Which means that sometimes you don't get to get away. But he'll still save you within what it is. And that's difficult, right? That's no fun. There's this guy. His name was um, Terry Anderson. And I believe that to date, he is the longest held hostage, hostage that America has ever had. This was back in the 80s when he was um, held hostage in Iran when all of that stuff was going on. He was one of the longest held American hostages ever. And, um, 
And, you know, he, he was a Christian, and he prayed. He prayed that God would deliver him from it. Well, God didn't for seven years. So he's praying in the midst of this, and, and some of his story tells this. You know, he's praying in the midst of it, and uh, he realized that maybe God wasn't going to take him out. But he didn't stop praying. And in fact, he created this church with the other people that were being held hostage at the time. And he, they called it the Church of the Locked Door, right? And, and they would do communion with the little pieces of bread that were there to sustain them. And he said, you know, I, I wasn't saved out until many years later, but I was saved in my captivity. Sometimes you are going through things that you can't get out of. And it doesn't make sense. And you, you get angry with God. Like, God, like, why don't you redeem me out of this? Why don't you deliver me out of this? Take me away from this. And God doesn't do it. That's because maybe God is trying to save you in it. And I don't know why. I get people coming to my office all the time. Why is God doing this? Like, I don't want, he does not tell me. Every once in a while, he gives me an inkling, but I don't know. But I do know this. He can save you in whatever it is that you're going through. Whether it's, whether it's a job that you don't like, whether it's a marriage that you're struggling with, whether it's, I don't we could go on and on, right? We could create a laundry list of those things that are hard and that we want to get out of. And sometimes God says, no, I'm going to need you to stay. Not all the time, but sometimes. And when God does that, we've got to recognize and be thankful for the fact that he can save us in something. But I'll tell you what, while he sometimes delivers us from something and sometimes delivers us in something, he always delivers us to something. He always saves us to something. You see, we are saved for the kingdom of God. We are saved for the work that he would have us do, whether we're in our trials or whether we're outside of our trials. We are saved, we're redeemed, we're forgiven, and we've been given all power for endurance and patience. Sometimes that's why you stay in those things, right? Because you have the power to transcend those things eventually. So the question really becomes more than anything. The biggest question that becomes is what is God saving you to today? What is it? Is there a specific work that he would have you do? Is there something powerful that, that he needs to work through you by giving you that strength, by giving you that endurance? Does he just need you to survive it until you can thrive through it? There's... There's not always clear and plain answers to those questions. But that's okay, because God has a way of working in the mystery. God has a way of revealing himself through the unknown in our lives. Our job sometimes is not to know the answer. Our job is to, with patience and endurance, both of which come from God and all power, all of God's power. Sometimes we are meant to stay where we are, be saved in it, and still thrive through it. We can do that, but it doesn't come from us. It doesn't mean I gotta bear down, I gotta work harder. It doesn't mean that I've gotta figure this out, I've gotta be a better person, even though, yeah, sure, be a better person. We all like that. That's not going to get the result that you want. That result that you want only comes from God. It only comes from his power and his sustainability. It only comes from his forgiveness and his redeeming qualities because we know that love is this, you know, millimeter process. But, you know, millimeters stack up. 
millimeters become centimeters and on and on and on and on until you do go miles, hundreds of miles, thousands of miles. Sometimes this journey that we're on is not fast, it's not quick, it's not easy. But you're never alone through it. What I love about these texts is that Paul looks at the Colossians, a church that was a bit wayward, and he says to them, listen, you, you got to know, God's going to give you the power to sort this out. God's going to give you the power. This is what I pray for for you every single day, that God will give you the power to get through this and get back on track. I think God is saying the same thing to us today because that's what God consistently says to people who are seeking him so that they might recognize and listen to his voice. Let's bow our heads today. Heavenly Father, Lord of grace, Jesus, we need all of that. So let's pray for those same things that Paul prayed for, that everyone in this room today that had been here before, that is here right now, Lord, that everyone might have all power and may it manifest itself in the endurance in which they go through the difficult things in life, even when you decide to keep them there, and also in the patience of which they accept when things aren't going 100% exactly well. Lord, we're so grateful for your forgiveness and your redemption. And we're so thankful that you've brought us into the kingdom of light, not because of what we've done, but because of the qualifications that you gave to us. Thank you for that. Lord, as we sing your praises today one more time, I'm just going to ask that you fill this place, be in this house. Let us recognize in thankfulness what it is that you've done for us. And as we leave today, let us live that powerfully. In your name I pray, Lord. Amen.